Lies of P is probably the most ironically titled game coming out this year. Like Pinocchio trying to become a real boy, Lies of P is trying to become Bloodborne 2.0. But is it up to snuff, or is it just a copycat that falls short of its goals? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Gaming Companion, the podcast where I talk about the latest game releases, theories, and rant about all sorts of gaming topics. I'm Becky, and I'm sure you've heard about the latest Souls-like game coming out in September, Lies of P, the demo of which was recently announced during the Summer Game Fest. If you haven't heard of it, let me quickly catch you up. In Lies of P, you play as Pinocchio in the city of Krat. It's your quest to rid the city of whatever it is that's causing the other puppets to go rogue, and you gain humanity as you go. Obviously, I've only played through the demo, I don't have any insider knowledge about the game, and hey, it might change. But saying that, there will be spoilers in this, mostly just what happens in the demo. But I am going to be making some pretty big assumptions of how this game is going to pan out. Up front, Lies of P is Bloodborne on a budget. This isn't a bad thing. It's certainly not a meaningless cash grab, there is passion behind this project. The devs quite clearly love Bloodborne and other FromSoft games. I just feel like they nail some aspects of the game and then completely miss the mark in other places. But it is a good game. Trust me, if it wasn't any good, I would not be sat in front of a mic talking about it. I'm going to be talking about what I think of the story, my theories behind where it's leading, what I think of the gameplay mechanics, and the world building, from a Bloodborne enthusiast's perspective. Now Lies of P is a very long demo. It covers the first two chapters of the game, with a total of three boss fights and a few boss-like enemies scattered around. I actually love super long demos like this. Obviously, the devs don't want to show you everything the game has to show, so the fact that Lies of P's demo has so much in it and I can put together this analysis just proves that this game is going to be pretty substantial. It has its quirks that I'm going to get into, and I do want to see if they're fixed before immediately buying it on its release date. However, if you like Souls Likes, you'll probably like this one too. I want to discuss the overall story before anything else, because it is an interesting one. And let's be honest, with a game like Lies of P that you have to get good at, and your only real reward is more story, you do have to like the story fragments that you get. And I think the game does make a pretty good attempt at keeping its story mysterious and vague, like the FromSoft games it's taking inspiration from. But Lies of P's base story is Pinocchio, not really something unfamiliar to most players. I will say that the game does take inspiration from the original 1800s version of the story instead of the Disney reimagining, which did make some pretty substantial changes so the exact storyline might be fairly unknown, but the base elements are the same. You've got a puppet and his maker slash father figure Geppetto, Jiminy, a talking cricket, and Sophia who, it's safe to assume, is the Blue Fairy from the original tale. Even the bosses in Lies of P tie in with the actual story of Pinocchio. The first boss, the Parade Master, is obviously the Puppet Master from the Marinette Theatre, who in the original story is angered by Pinocchio and wants to turn him into firewood. 
the original Pinocchio also features a lot of brushes with the law. The last boss in the demo, the scrapped watchman, could be any one of these figures. And you have the mad donkey on the bridge, who I assume to be inspired by Candlewick, or Pinocchio's brief foray into being a donkey. I wouldn't be at all surprised if a lot of Lies of P follows the rest of the tale of Pinocchio, in which case we'll probably see more of these story-inspired bosses. Of course, it is a little too soon to tell how the game will pan out, but it is a possibility that Lies of P will follow at least a few of the story beats from the old fairy tale, since the demo also does. If any of these assumptions do come true, I feel like this is quite a bit to know about the story of a Souls-like straight away. It would be interesting to see how the devs make changes to this base formula, if they even do. There's so much happening in the original Pinocchio tale, it would also be pretty impressive if they managed to stay somewhat true to the source material. Beyond the assumptions about what the storyline will be, the game also tells you a lot through its narration, which is a little too handholdy for me, personally. For example, towards the end of the second chapter, there's a side quest to give a baby back to a woman behind a window. It's an interesting side quest, but it just feels like a standard fetch quest, since Jiminy gives you the answer without even giving you a chance to work it out yourself. The woman sends you to find a baby, but the baby's dead so we have to give her a puppet. I picked up the puppet and immediately thought, why do I need this? But the game didn't give me a chance to put two and two together myself, since Jiminy immediately pipes up and says, oh no, this baby's dead. That lady is going to be so sad, let's get this back to her. Personally, I'd rather work something like that out myself, similar to the red brooch quest in Bloodborne. There's no kind of indication that you need to give the brooch back to the girl. Just like there shouldn't be any indication that you could give the puppet back to the woman instead of the baby. Of course, I do have a horrible habit of just getting straight into a game without looking at the settings available to me. And I did notice at the end of the demo, there is a setting that lets you turn off the guide. Now, I don't know if this includes the narration prompting, in which case this is a moot complaint, but this level of explanation really should not be the default setting for a Souls-like, but that is just my personal belief. And with that complaint out of the way, there are certainly areas that aren't explained. An area that isn't explained is the text that pops up during the boss fights. Now, the puppet bosses we fight have this strange, unreadable text. Either this isn't relevant information, or for some reason, Pinocchio can't understand puppet speak. Perhaps it's something else inspired by the original children's story? Another mystery is, in one of the side areas right before the last boss fight, there's a dead human. It could also be a puppet. What makes him stand out from the rest of the dead corpses in the area is he has some kind of plant growing out of him. My personal take is it was this plant that killed him. It's not really explained, but while it looks contagious, my gut reaction says it's something different than what's driving the puppets mad. Especially since if this plant thing was relevant to the madness, it would be a bit more present throughout the rest of the world. The demo doesn't go into all of the features either, 
There's a feature hinted, but not actually confirmed. Geppetto at one point says that the hotel is the last safe place in Krat, and that we should be careful with who we tell about it. This does imply to me something similar to Bloodborne's NPC gathering feature, in which you go around and tell the NPCs where it's safe to go. I will eat my hat if there isn't at least one NPC in Lies of P seeking asylum that turns out to be an utter maniac. Lies of P does introduce some very interesting mechanics and quality of life changes that take it away from being a cut and paste Bloodborne. The first of which is training dummies. They can't damage you and they're pretty good for learning how to parry and how the critical attack system works. I didn't quite get it perfected myself, but it seems like if you parry enough times in a row, it sort of staggers the enemy, it's called grogginess, and you have a chance to perform a critical attack. I found these training dummies to be pretty helpful to be honest, especially since you can sit in front of these puppets practicing for quite a while and you don't need to die for it. Second is level up restrictions. In the first area I got to level 20 and it actually blocked me from levelling up any more. This might have been a bug but I'm pretty sure it was an intended feature. When we first come across it, Sophia claims that the Star Observer is something that isn't going to be powerful forever. It's interesting to see how true that was and that it does actually stop working. Since we actually meet her in person later and can level up with her directly, I'm wondering if the level restriction will be a permanent feature. Maybe it is only a demo edition to make it less likely people would overlevel the boss. The third feature, and one I'm not overwhelmingly happy about, is the ergo drops. Specifically the ergo drops in the boss fights. When you die in the boss arena in FromSoft games, you have to actually run back into the arena to get your souls back. It gives the game a little bit more risk when you're wandering around, since you can stumble upon a boss at any time. Lies of P, however, places the ergo outside of the arena, so you can get it back without facing the boss again. I can see how this would help new players, but it's not personally my all-time favourite addition. Fourth is the weapon durability. The durability in Lies of P is insanely weak compared to Bloodborne, however it does introduce the mechanic of repairing your weapon as you go. P has a special grinder built into his arm that you can use to pep weapons back up. This isn't an on-the-fly thing, it does take a while to repair the durability of your weapon so there is some thought that has to go into behind if you should wait and risk your weapon breaking since it breaks permanently or if you should take the risk and repair it. Obviously this is a lot harder to do during a boss fight but there are items you can use to instantly refresh for durability. Since I'm a bit of a hoarder who can't use items I didn't actually try this. You can also buy special grinders that give your weapon a buff I actually really like the durability mechanic in this game because it gives you something else you need to keep track of. You can't just go around swinging at any enemy you see without paying attention to what you're doing. I also love how easy this is to use. 
I was playing on PC but using a DualSense controller and you can switch between the health and the grinder and other items just by using the up and down directional buttons. This was pretty intuitive to me and it's pretty easy to use in the middle of a boss fight. It seems the durability goes down a lot less if you make use of the perfect parry features, so it does encourage you to get used to the game's combat. I would like to see how far they take it, for example if different enemies decrease it faster, or if there's some kind of debuff that makes the weapon durability drop faster as well. Now, as I said, once the weapon loses durability it does break. This isn't something I experienced myself, however it is something they tell you on the game's loading screens. The merchants sell extra swords at a pretty cheap price. Even if you don't break a weapon, you can easily buy all of them and have some ergo left over to buy more. This may be a demo thing, or it may be tied into the durability. If the weapons die quickly, it's not surprising that they'd give us ample opportunity to buy some more. It also gives you a better chance to really test out the different class styles, something that games like Bloodborne don't really let you do because when you're starting out with a game like Bloodborne, you do tend to just stick to the same class throughout your first playthrough. The merchants also sell items and weapon buffs, like the lightning grinder I mentioned before. Interestingly, it does seem like there's a limit to the number of items you can buy. This is presumably to stop people spamming these items in the boss fight. On to the boss fights and combat itself. Dodging is different than Bloodborne. The invincibility frames are incredibly short, and the dodge window is so pixel perfect it's practically non-existent, and there are also more than a few clips of the hitboxes, of the bosses especially, being so much larger than you would expect the hitboxes to be. It is possible to get the dodging down right, as it currently is, but it is incredibly unforgiving. The bosses, especially the last one, the Scrapped Watchman, are easier if you learn how to parry. Like I said, the game wants you to beat the boss in a certain way. It's not really a parry system similar to Bloodborne, though. In, in that game, if you parry, you are given a chance to repost and go in for a critical strike. In Lies of P, a parry is essentially just a block. The better you do it, the less of your health it will drain but it doesn't actually stop the boss's moveset, so you'll be blocking multiple attacks in a row in some cases. I've seen some people compare this to the system from Sekiro. I have no comment on this since I have yet to play Sekiro, but I'd guess that just like the dodging being more pixel-perfect than Bloodborne, I'd say the parrying is going to be just as, if not more, unforgiving than Sekiro as well. When you do eventually beat each of the three bosses, it unlocks a new mechanic. The third and final boss is the Scrapped Watchman, who appears in City Hall. Beating him unlocks P-Organs. I don't know why they decided to call it that. I didn't really give this a lot of attention, since it's revealed after the demo ends. You can absolutely mess around with this yourself in the demo, but I didn't want to get too invested in messing around with it. From what little I saw, it seems to be some kind of skill tree system. In this, you can level up the individual aspects of Pinocchio's character, including the dodges, which I'm thinking might fix the issues with the iframes. However, it does take until the end of the third boss to unlock this and the Scrapped Watchman is a heck of a boss to have to face. I can see a lot of players being completely put off the game before beating him. It would also be interesting to see how exactly the skill tree plays out 
along with the standard Souls-like levelling system. The second boss, the Mad Donkey, appears about halfway through the second chapter. He is trying to kill Geppetto, who has locked himself in a coach. When he sees us, he instantly recognises our puppetness and wants to hang us up on the bridge. Admittedly, this is a bit of a sidestep away from the original Pinocchio story, since there are no insane donkeys trying to hang up Pinocchio. But Pinocchio does actually get hanged in the original story, so it's not that different. Getting rid of the mad donkey unlocks Geppetto, who sends us on our way to City Hall. A few seconds after this, and we get the ability to customise our weapons. This weapon customization is probably the most interesting part of the demo for me. You can mix and match weapon handles and blades to create an entirely new weapon. For example, place the greatsword blade on the rapier's handle to give it the speed of the rapier without losing much of the strength. It looks like we'll also be able to change the material the handle is made from, so it's customised to the three stat types, speed, dex and strength. I couldn't see how to do this in the demo, since it requires an item that I didn't pick up, so it would be interesting to see how this plays out in the actual release. Like I mentioned earlier, it's pretty cheap to buy all the weapons in the game, so you're not going to be limited to the amount of handles and blades that you can mix and match. I'm hoping that customising the weapon to better suit which boss we're up against will be a big part of the game. Since choosing the right weapon is a big part of Bloodborne, I'll be surprised if it's not also a big part of Lies of P, but... Needing to use the right weapon isn't quite the same as needing to customise the weapon. Since, for example, we can already target the boss weaknesses with the three default weapons we have at the beginning. For example, the Mad Donkey is incredibly weak to knockback, and he's pretty easy to stunlock if you've got a fast enough weapon for it. But the Rapier takes care of this entirely, you don't need to customise it. And that's part of what I'm concerned about, is is the customization even necessary, or is it just a meaningless gimmick? There is a change in the actual weight of the weapons after you customize them. However, there are so many different accessories you can mix and match to change the weight anyway, that I'm not quite convinced that making a whole new weapon that's lightweight would really be more efficient than just switching out your accessories. There is another combat mechanic that ties into this customization, and that's the weapon fable arts. And this is similar to Elden Ring's Ashes of War. It's just these fable arts aren't really that useful against the bosses, so I didn't really use them all that much. Like I said, the game wants you to beat bosses a certain way, and the fable arts just didn't really fit into this. Especially since, and this could be a skill issue, the fable arts animation takes such a long time to complete. Most enemies have a quicker attack rate than the fable's duration, and you can be hit straight out of the attack, and you will have wasted your health and the mana, fable ability, that it costs to actually perform the fable in the first place. The first boss actually unlocks a lot more, such as the lobby arena, Sophia, the game's level up lady, and the weapon upgrade system. Now this upgrade system 
is different than the weapon customization. This upgrade is just the standard collect these stone things and you can make the weapon stronger, increase the durability, etc. This seems a little at odds with the customization, especially since you can level up a weapon and then rip it to pieces and combine it with pieces that aren't leveled up. It will be interesting to see what happens when you stick a high level handle on a level 1 blade, for instance. There's also one interesting feature unlocked after the first boss that's a bit less tangible than the others, and that's lying. I'm sure most everyone knows the story about Pinocchio. He lies, his nose gets bigger. So he's advised to stop lying because it's not a thing boys are encouraged to do. Well, this game does a complete 180 on that, and lying is 100% encouraged. In fact, it sets P apart from the rest of the puppets and shows his potential to become human. I do like this a lot better than the original moral of Pinocchio, but we didn't see a lot of this mechanic in the demo, and I do hope it's slightly better than what we saw. The mechanic is first introduced pretty much immediately after you beat the boss. Sophia tells us that to get into the hotel, we need to lie. And then she tells you that the hotel doesn't actually allow puppets in. I'm guessing this is because they all went mad and started killing people. But in my opinion, this is just more of that hand-holdy narration that explains how it wants you to play the game. When you get to the hotel, the gatekeeper asks if you're a human or a puppet, and you know that you're supposed to tell them you're human, so why would you tell them otherwise? Where's the learning? We're working things out yourself. And then another character goes on to say, You should remember this. It'll be important to get on the townspeople's good sides later. Which just feels like the game saying, Hey, this new mechanic is neat. Remember it. Instead of letting you find out these things the hard way. Now, coming from a game like Bloodborne, where your decisions are mostly down to you, and you can miss out on a lot of opportunities, this is a little weird. Perhaps, though, this is all one big trick, and just like the moral of Pinocchio, the less you lie, the better you'll be in the end. So we should be ignoring the game's advice. Or perhaps it's part of the game's guide setting that I really wish I'd noticed and turned off. I don't know. There is another instance of this lying feature, and that's the woman in the window, the same one I mentioned before who is after her baby. Well, when you get her dead baby puppet back to her, she asks you if you like the baby, the baby that is a puppet. You have two choices, lie and say it's cute or whatever, or tell the truth and say it's a puppet. Interestingly, you can't tell her that the puppet is dead. I guess that would be a bit harsh. Obviously, the game has already told me to lie to these people, so I did, and said the puppet was cute, and was rewarded with the warm, fuzzy feeling of experiencing human emotions and regaining humanity. And we also get the game's version of collectibles, a record disc. Which is admittedly pretty cool. The record is playable on the hotel's gramophone, and it's an actual four-minute song that will play as you walk around the hotel. But this doesn't change the fact that working out the puzzle solution is, again, practically stolen from you. And all of this on top of what I already said before about Jiminy spoon-feeding you the answer as soon as you find the puppet. 
this guidance might be good for some players who aren't interested in Souls-like puzzles, but I wish there was a way to turn the guidance off completely. And if that setting in the options does turn it off, I wish it wasn't set to on by default. I don't want to be told the nuances like this. I want the puzzle of trial and error. That's the main draw of a Souls-like for me. But it seems like everything you do in the game just gives you another nugget of information and then explains this nugget to you, like the game doesn't want you to miss out anything. On to the world building, and this is where I'm going to be incredibly nitpicky. A chapter 1 takes you through the train station and it leads all the way to the circus. A chapter 2 takes place on the rooftops. Both of these chapters felt very linear, which is fine, not every game needs to be open world, but the settings are very bland. There are repeating assets everywhere, and yes, this is a much lower budget indie game than Bloodborne is. However, there's a noticeable lack of finesse in the asset placement. For example, there is one model of a dead horse, and in the beginning area it is just scattered around all over the place, without any kind of logic behind why it's placed there, why it's angled like that in the first place. Unfortunately, you notice the weirdness of the asset placement once, and you just keep noticing it. For example, the boxes at the beginning are stacked in such a way that it's obvious, that it's trying to keep you in the straight line. A bit like the old style games with the invisible walls that, that they tried to hide with like furniture or something. It is a straight line, pretty much, from your starting spawn point into the train station. You follow the bend of the train station round and then there's the mini boss. Not to mention that within the train station itself there are doors into other areas, but these aren't actual game doors, you can't go through them. The way the game stops you from using these doors and makes it clear that they're not actual game areas is to put a box in front of the door. Which, great, except this does look incredibly strange when you have a completely empty corridor and the only thing in that corridor is a box, centred right in front of a door. Why? There's also not much exploration in Lies of P. It doesn't encourage exploration much at all, actually. There's nowhere to get lost. I didn't particularly find any spectacular items when I looked behind objects or went off the beaten track as much as you're able to. There's this point right before the first boss fight where you have to go up the stairs to find the boss, but there's also a little short flight of stairs and it takes you to a dead end with a dog down there. Kill the dog, you have a look around, and there's nothing down there. There's no special item, it was literally just a dog. Interestingly, the dog was actually eating one of the dead civilians on the floor. Uh, this dog is a puppet, by the way. Um, I'm not quite sure why the puppet was eating a civilian. Maybe they also get hungry, I don't know much about puppets. This isn't the only aspect of the enemy design that I don't like. The design of the enemies is pretty much bloodborne. It's pretty much identical to the type of enemies you'll find in Central Yharnam. You have the generic puppets 
number one. You have generic puppet number two, but this one's got a gun. You've got a dog, and then you've got a few troll-like enemies with hard-hitting attacks. It would be nice to see some kind of diversity in the enemies that doesn't just feel like they reskinned Bloodborne. The enemy behaviour itself is interesting. In Lies of P, the enemies are just there. They're either sat down or just standing there, and they seem to spring to life when you get near them. With the exception of a few enemies that wander around, the majority just stand there silently. And speaking of which, these enemies are quiet. Super quiet. In Bloodborne, the enemies will say things, scream things at you even but it's dead quiet in Lies. Honestly, this does make the game atmosphere in Lies of P feel dead, which I suppose is fitting since everything is. At the beginning of Chapter 2, in the lobby area of Hotel Krat, we meet possibly the only other non-evil puppet in the game, the butler. The butler tells us about the puppet code which you probably already know without even playing Lies of P, because this code is the exact same code that's used by every single robotic thing that's going to turn evil in every single piece of media like this. Basically, do no harm, follow orders, yada yada. Now, obviously the puppets have gone against this code, except the fourth code of Tell No Lies. They still follow that one, only Pinocchio is the exception to that one. Obviously, since the puppets have gone against their code, it's not a stretch to say that they're no longer acting the way they did before, when they weren't murdering people, but I can't quite convince myself that switching up the puppet code of Do No Harm would turn all of these puppets completely silent. The puppet butler is also not particularly talkative unless you directly interact with him as well, which implies to me that before the puppets went mad, the citizens of this town were just walking around with these completely silent things, and none of them found that creepy. And that's such an interesting vibe, honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Beyond the individual enemies themselves, the placement of the enemies is also where Lies of P falls flat. Consider Bloodborne. The first area in Central Yarnum is probably top-tier well-designed for me, because it teaches you important lessons on how to play the game. Like, don't run into a big group of enemies, or you will die. And this isn't something you can even do in Lies of P, since there isn't really an area in the game where there's a need for more tactical gameplay, like drawing the enemies in one by one. They're way too spaced out, I cannot think of a single instance where I was facing more than four, or even three, at a time. For me, this definitely creates an unbalanced difficulty spike. The game is pretty easy when you're just wandering around the areas, and the only truly challenging aspects of the game that require you to learn about the combat and think about what you're doing happens at the boss fights or the few mini-bosses scattered around. Moving on from my pickiness, there are a few aspects of the game that I do like, one of which are the traps introduced in Chapter 2. These are pretty simple. You can trigger these traps and draw enemies into its area of effect, but you run the risk of also being trapped in it yourself. You can just take a swing at it with your sword, or you can trigger it from a distance with the new arm mechanics that Lies of P introduces. 
This is apparently another feature that is incredibly similar to Sekiro. You can switch out P's left arm with other arms. We have two arms available to us in the demo. The first is a standard punch arm that I did not use at all. The second is a grapple type weapon that you can use to drag enemies in. Overuse your arm and it starts fizzing. This doesn't affect your ability to open doors or use the grind mechanic, which seems like a bit of a missed opportunity. On a completely different note, defeating enemies seems to do a lot for you in Lies of P. If you run out of health vials, you can actually get one back by killing some enemies. They don't even have to be ones you've fought before. You can just run up to random enemies to get your health potion back. Now, I do like this mechanic since it does force you into that slightly more aggressive playstyle, unless you choose to run away back to a rest point. And, of course, the game still has Bloodborne's health regain system. If you block an attack and get damaged, you can regain health if you beat up the enemy that's just hurt you. Now, beyond just the general complaints I've mentioned, the game does lack an overall polish. For example, when you beat a boss or a major enemy that drops things, you get notifications, you get trophies, and the game tells you where to go. Pretty much instantaneously. And you've got all of this going on at the same time, and then it just all disappears. There is zero prompt to confirming literally anything that's just happened, and there's no way of getting it back once it's gone. You just have to take a long, hard look at your inventory to see what's new and hope you haven't missed something. All in all, the game does have a few flaws, and I'm not entirely convinced to pick Lies of P up first day, just because I would like to see the reviews on how much better the game becomes. I'm concerned that a lot of its mechanics will conflict with each other, like the weapon upgrade system and the customization. These features do the same thing, they increase the durability or the strength of a weapon, but they seem very different. Or, for instance, the P organs with the Soulsborne stat levelling. I'm not sure how a skill tree will tie into stats. For example, if you level up your dodges or movement with the P organs, how does that influence the stamina stat? Will these things tie together in any way? Can you only level up some things in the skill tree when you have a certain stat, or are these just two separate features they've just pushed together? It does feel like they've taken their favourite features from all of the FromSoft games and just kind of tried to merge them together without thinking about how they fit together. But let me know what you think. If you are listening to this on YouTube, drop a comment, tell me if you played the demo, what you thought of it, and anything you liked or disliked. If you're listening to this elsewhere, you can tag me on Twitter, at RowanIsGaming, or send me an email at thegamingcompanionpod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. <laughs>